questions today. Are you thankful? I, uh, that's about my, the only thing I have for Thanksgiving, okay? <laughs> the reality is, you know what, we, we should step back and ponder how good God is to us, you know? And sometimes, we, instead of being thankful, you know, we have a lot to complain about. We look at the things we don't have, the things that didn't happen right, the things didn't go good with us or for us. And we don't just step back and say, man, God, you've really been good to me. And so uh, it's a season to be, think, be thinking on that stuff and, and be mindful of the goodness of God over our lives. And so uh, we're in a series, we're in a series called How to Neighbor, How to Neighbor. And in this series, we're learning, uh, learning how to be a better neighbor because, you know, the whole response that Jesus had to the person that asked him, you know what, uh, what, is it, what is it that I have to do? You know, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we talk a lot about that. We think a lot about that. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We don't think a lot about that. And so today we're going to continue this series called How to Neighbor. Last week, we looked at the topic of racism. And the reality is, is racism, racism is a problem. And the challenge for us is that we, we become a part of the solution as opposed to a part of the problem. That we recognize what's going on in our heart. We recognize if there's wounds that we've experienced. We recognize that actions need to be taken. That things can't go on as they have. Things need to change, you know. And, and of all places, the church should be a safe haven for people. You know, it should be a safe place. And, you know, we recognize that people through their experiences or through the fact that they were just modeled by their parents, racism, or, you know, just through plain old ignorance that uh, we haven't fixed the problem yet, you know, and we need to keep going after it. Because I believe the church is, is the hope of the world, you know, we're, we're called to be a light in a dark place. And, you know, honestly, uh, just in light of what's going on in our nation, even to this day, as it relates to the political scene and all that stuff, uh, like I said last week, the wound has been opened. And we need to be the kind of people like Jesus who binds up the brokenhearted, brings healing to wounds, you know, loves uh, that transcends the things that, um, those wounds and things like that. So loving people well. Today I want to talk to you about a different topic, which is still in the area of how to neighbor. Um, I want to talk to you about how that we as a church can help meet the needs of the people around, around us. And so the message that I'm, uh, I'm going to share with you today is called Empowering the Poor. Empowering the Poor. And this whole series uh, actually was done before Faith Chapel was doing it by a church down in Oklahoma called Life Church. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's thoughts, contents, things like that that they've really thought through. Our, our messages aren't identical and stuff like that, but I want to just give credit to the originator of this series. Uh, we want to talk about how can we be helpers to those who are poor. Now, I, I've been to other nations. How many people have been to other nations in their life? Okay, so some of us, maybe half of us, have been to other nations uh, in your life at some point, and, and depending on where you went, it's very easy to see poverty, you know? I mean, I went to two of the nations that I went to that, 
I'm just going to talk about very briefly, is Mexico and Jamaica. And in those two places, and we had teams of people with us uh, that, that observed this. In those two places, I mean, poverty is, is it's clear. It's, it's right in your face. I mean, families of five, six, seven people live in a house that's, you know, uh, it, it's built by, by stuff that's gathered from the junkyard. You know, there's pieces of tin that's used for doors and roofs and, and things like that. Uh, you know, these are the, the size of these places, they're always very typically very small. It's about the size of one of your closets. And I mean, people pack in these places. And it's very sad to see, but they make it, you know. But that is poverty in some of these third world nations that you, you go to see. The reality is that type of poverty is not much different than the poverty that we experience in our nation. But it's a different look. It's a different look. Someone who lost their job, lost it all, went bankrupt, you know, uh, and, and they're up against it. They, they may still have some stuff, but it's not as readily apparent the type of poverty that we face in our nation many times. Many times it's not as readily apparent. Nevertheless, poverty is a real issue in our nation, and the church is called to make a difference. You know, I, I always say it this way. The government years ago, uh, the church stepped aside years ago and the government stepped in. But really, that wasn't God's plan. You know, that wasn't God's plan. And so today, I want to I reawaken God's vision as it relates to poverty. And as he discusses, addresses in his word to his body. Um, in, our, in our city, in our city, poverty is a major issue. I don't know if you've seen anything in the news over the years, but in September of last year, there was something that came out, which, which was the result of the most recent census, and it said Syracuse is the number one city in poverty for African Americans and Hispanics, and number five for, uh, for Caucasians in the nation, the number one city for poverty. That's crazy. That, that's crazy to me that, we, you know, we're making, you know, we're making, we're making our name known, but it's in a wrong way, you know? And, and that just tells me that the church is just oblivious to the reality of what God has called us to do. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this today because I do believe that we're called to make a difference. We're called to make a difference. We're, we're called to change things. Uh, I read a statistic and you can look it up. Look up Syracuse poverty. There's all these articles um, that, are, that are on the, on the internet. And uh, there was a statistic that of the people who live in the city in 2015, 50.5% of them were unemployed at some point during the year. It's, it's, you know, it's a difficult time that we live in, but it's a motivating time as a church to say we are called to make a difference to step up. And, and, you know, the typical response is this. We hear that kind of stuff and we automatically think somebody should do something. Or we think someday I'll do something. But you know what? Neither of those typically happen. Neither of those typically happen. Someday I'll do something. Well, that someday doesn't come. And that somebody doesn't rise up. And so my heart today is that you know, out of this church that we can rise up with a vision, with a plan, something stirring in our hearts 
to say, I've got to do something. I've got to do something to awaken what's going on as it relates to God's word. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 25, I want you to turn there for a moment, but um, in Matthew, Jesus starts to tell this parable. And it's very interesting because in the parable, he starts to talk about his return. And uh, his return, he's talking about how he's going to divide two groups of people. His people and those that are not his people. And he uses terminology in that day that it would be understood sheep and goats. And the people that are his are sheep. And he said, he says something like this. Listen, this is how I'm going to divide them. It's a fascinating, uh, fascinating thing to look at. He's like, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you, you visited me. Um, you know, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Isn't that an odd way to divide people between those who are his and those aren't his? Well, really, it's not the action that was the dividing line. It's, it's what happened. It's the result of a heart that's being changed is what he's getting at. He's saying, my people, I can know them by their actions. I can know them because they see a need and they step in and, and make a difference. Those that are saved, those who have my spirit in them, I, I can look at them and say, wow, these are the kind of people that step up when there's a need that they face. It, it's not much different than uh, the story of Zacchaeus. You remember that story? Well, actually, let me look at that. Let me just share with you that verse. I'm getting ahead of myself. Luke, uh, or Matthew 25, verse 40. It says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. You see that? You, you, someone was hungry, you fed them. They were thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You know, it, it's, it's, he's going after the action. The action says a lot about what's going on in our hearts. Right? And he calls that out as one of the dividing, one of the ways to divide or tell those who are his versus those that are not his. It's the way they love. It's the way they care for people. The way they step in and meet needs when they see them. We see, we see this in another sense in, in the story of Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus, a wee little man was he, you know. He was the guy who climbed the sycamore tree and some of you may be able to sing the song. Uh, so he, Jesus is coming into his town, and he's short, and he has to climb a tree for, uh, so he can see Jesus. And Jesus recognizes him and says, you know, Zacchaeus, says, I'm, co I'm coming to your house today. And he gets there. Jesus gets to Zacchaeus' house, and something amazing happens in verse, verses 8 and 9 of Luke 19, Luke 19 verses 8 and 9. It says this. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. You see that? Something happened in his heart. All of a sudden now, half of everything that he owns, he wants to give to the poor. Now, earlier in the story, we're told that he's a very rich man. And something changed inside of him to the point where he wanted to give away much of what he had, half of what he had. He said, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Now check out what Jesus' response is. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. 
Now, was it the giving to the poor and giving back what he owed to people that made him saved? No, it wasn't that that made him saved. But that is the result of him being saved. Do you get this? His heart was changed, and because of his heart being changed, he began to care for the needs around him. Do you see this? This this is astounding to me. And Jesus is saying, well, it's obvious to me, man. Salvation has come to this house. You know, it's obvious to me that something has happened in your heart, that you're going to give something that's near and dear to you away. Something that you used uh, trickery and deceit to get. Now, all of a sudden, you're just going to give it away freely? That's been a change of heart. That's obviously, that's a change of heart uh, that you've had. And here's the last verse I'll share with you before I move on. Proverbs 19, 17. It says this, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them. He will reward them for what they have done. He'll reward them for what they have done. So when we give what we have to those who do not have, we're told by the scriptures that we're, we're doing this for Jesus. We're giving to Jesus. He says, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Now, a lot of times we don't think about it. We see, we see that person, you know, who has need, and they seem to always have need. And the reality is, you know, sometimes things in our heart are, you know, we have these thoughts in our heart like, you know, go do something about your situation, And Jesus is saying, that's me. When you do it for that person, you're doing it for me. I think that's quite provocative of a thought. Um, And you know, these are not the only scriptures. There's hundreds of scriptures in the Bible where God's concern for the poor is is identified. It's addressed. I love the Old Testament. The first five books of the Bible where, where he talks about, he lays out some rules. And he says, you know, if you have a vineyard and you're gleaning, you're grabbing, you're, you're picking those grapes from the vineyard, I don't want you to go back through a second time. I want you to leave it. If you have a field, I, I don't want you to, to glean from that field all the way to the edges and the corners. I want you to leave it because I'm concerned for the poor and the foreigner. I, I love how, how God, God is taking care of people who have need. He says in Deuteronomy, he says, don't be tight-fisted with the poor. Be open-handed toward them. Be open-handed toward them. I, I recognize, listen to me, I recognize that this may be perhaps a little shocking, a little bit different than we're used to dealing with, but this is all part of the neighboring. Listen, the people who have need are our neighbors. This is all part of the neighboring concept when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is all part of that. We, we can't escape that. And so if we're, if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, if we're going to grow to become more like Jesus, then this aspect of love has to be addressed in our heart. We've got to do something about it. We, could, we, we can't just say, yeah, I heard about it, I know about it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. So, so here's the question. What is poverty? What defines poverty? Those statistics I gave you for Syracuse and the poverty levels, they're based on someone who makes around $24,000 as a family of four, that supports a family of four. Um, 
You know, some would say poverty is, and, and they would maybe perhaps define poverty as, you know, when someone doesn't have something. Maybe they don't have enough money to support their family. Maybe they don't have enough money to get insurance. So they don't have enough money to uh, provide food for their family. Your 14-year-old may say, you know what? Poverty to me is that I can't get an iPhone 7. You know, poverty, the reality is poverty is based upon perspective. So, So the reality is this. Most people would say it's when I don't have something material. But then there's this, some would say, well, well, poverty is a mindset. And people who have this poverty mindset tend to see the world through the glasses of poverty. They, they see the world through this mindset like, you know what, I don't have and I'll never have. I'll never be able to get over the hump. This is just the way my life is. This is the way it's destined to be. This is my lot in life. And, and so their thinking and their actions and their decisions are based up out of that mindset. Others people would say this, that, that poverty is a spirit. That there's the spirit of poverty over people. And, you know, it, it's a demonic spirit meant to keep them from walking in, in the victory and the hope that Jesus Christ has made available. I think it's some of all of what I've just described. But here's what people who live in poverty say. This is what people who live in poverty say. It's abject hopelessness. It's, it's, it's brokenness. It's, you know, I feel like I'm locked in this deep sense of shame and, and unworthiness. I, I feel like I, I can't get out of this thing. No matter what I do, I, I, I don't have a vehicle to go to, you know, to go to work. I, I don't have an education to, go to go, get a good job. I'm, I'm locked into this place. It's, it's, there's fear and humiliation that I live in every day. That's how someone would describe poverty. Maybe one person would describe poverty is the way, the way they live in it. Uh, and, and, and so what we're looking at when, when Jesus says that, that, taking care of the poor is a big deal, is that there's something that he's trying to call his church to that they're not recognizing. He's trying to call his church to a higher place. And and I love the fact that when Jesus came into Nazareth, he he goes into this, this, uh, this temple, and he opens the scroll of Isaiah. And you want to know the first words that he shares about his mission? I love love the fact that Jesus just reflects the heart of the Father. He says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This comes from Isaiah 61, by the way. So he's quoting from the Old Testament. And he's the fulfillment of these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's the first thing that of his mission that is addressed. He goes on to say, you know what? Uh, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recover of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But we see the first thing is proclaiming or declaring or bringing good news to the poor. And something he did 
trickled down to his apostles and his disciples. Because they begin to proclaim uh, and give prominence to this very same thing. Uh, Holy Spirit at work, whatever. In Galatians 2.10, it says this. This is uh, Paul and Barnabas end up meeting with, uh, with Peter, James, and John. So Peter, James, and John were ministering to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are ministering, excuse me, Peter, James, and John are mi- mi- uh, ministering to the Jews. And Paul and Barnabas are ministering to the Gentiles. And they meet up. And here's the conclusion they come to in Galatians 2.10. It says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. So if their ministry was going to be marked by one thing, this is what he's saying. He didn't list anything. Like get, stop, uh, get people to stop having sexual immorality. Get people to stop lying and stealing and cheating. Get, you know, get people to give of their money. No, he says the main thing that we were out ministering when we ministered the kingdom of God, obviously apart from what Jesus did and, you know, the power of forgiveness and, and all that stuff, is that they should remember the poor. And this says to me that this ministry is essential. This is not some add-on. This is not some, you know, bottom of the list, oh yeah type of thing. This is, this is something that's essential to the core of the gospel and the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. And I feel like the church has checked out on this area. You know, there's no guilt, there's no shame tied to it. There's, you know, no one's a bad person because they checked out or they're not aware of this. But the reality is, I believe that God is calling us, awakening us to say, I've got to do something. And so I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts about this, and, you know, if you're starting to squeeze your wallet or whatever, don't, you know, just relax a little bit. Just relax. I'm not going to take an offering. I'm not going to ask you to give me money, you know, but, but I, I really want us to be thinking, what is God's heart in all of this? So, so how do we do this? How, how do we please God? How do we honor God? How do we respond to God's heart in this area? Um, I want us to look at 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. I think the first thing we need to do is this. Decide to do something. I think we need to, the first thing is decide to do something. Because once again, you know, if we think that someone, our neighbor's going to do it, the person sitting to our right or left is going to do it, they may be thinking the same thing. And then in the end, nothing happens, Right? In the end, nothing happens. And so we expect someone else to take care of this issue. This is not my issue. I think it's, it, it's an issue that everyone, every, every person who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior should be mindful of. They should be open to God. You know, this is, we say this, but do the words, do we really mean these words? You know, God, it's not my money, it's yours. It's not my time, it's yours. You know, the things that I have are not really mine, they're yours. We're really good at saying that stuff. But really, when rubber meets the road, does, does it mean anything? And so the first thing I think we need to do is decide to do something. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, oh, you're not going to like these words. 
I didn't like him. But has no pity on him. How could the love of God be in that person? And you say, well, you know what? He's just saying pity. So I can, I can feel bad for someone who doesn't have anything. But he's not really telling me to do anything, you know. I have pity. I'm sorry you don't have it. I do, though. That's not where John's going, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, how can the love of God be in him or in that person? It says this, dear children, this is the thing that sort of unqualifies our bad thoughts about this. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So we can say, I have pity and do nothing, but that doesn't work here. Because he's saying, true love is, is defined by action. You know? True love is, you're going to do something about that need. Otherwise, it's not love at all. How can you say the love of God is in you? It's not unless you do something about the need. Take it for what it's worth. We need to decide to do something. Uh, you know, and I've had, uh, for a long time, a burning passion to... Do something about the needs in our city. When, when uh, my wife and I started leading this church, we started this ministry called Feed the City. And Feed the City was just, uh, just a way to get out and connect with people and minister to them. And we wanted to use food to do it. Typically, we give a bag or two bags of groceries away, some diapers to a family that has need. And we, don't, we, we recognize that that's not going to change the world for that family. But we recognize that Jesus can change the world for that family. So one of the connecting points was food. And years ago, I had a, cr a conversation with, with Chris Elwood. And he connected me with a ministry in Utica that provided food at very, very minimal cost. And, and we started sending a van there and then a van and a trailer. And, and we would pick up food sometimes twice a month at least. And uh, we would pack, we'd have people packing up that food getting it ready to go, then there'd be a team of people that takes it out into our city. And, and so we, we began to see that, you know, the word of God tells us that we need to care for the poor. We need to do something about their situation. And, and my thinking was, and really it was just a God-birthed idea, that we, we can go and meet people and love up on them and give them some things that could help them. And it's really good. This is good, you know. And, and that, that's worked, and that's continued for like six, seven years now, this, this Feed the City ministry. It's been amazing. We've made some amazing connections with people, um, and we, we have continuing relationships through that people. And a short time after that ministry started, I was, I was getting ready to preach on the topic of uh, ministry to the poor and caring for those who just don't have. And, and, uh, and I remember God brought me to that passage where the widow who had this mite, which was worth like two pennies. You remember that story? And she brings this, this thing, and she drops it in the offering basket. And Jesus was sitting there watching, and all these other people, you know, they have uh, these, these massive amounts of uh, money they're dropping off, and, and the, you know, these people that have more money, and they're giving more than she is. But Jesus said, you know what? She gave more than all of them because she gave out of her poverty, or she gave all that she had. And it was called, what they were giving to was this thing called alms. 
like what we had today, the baskets up here. And alms is really an offering for the poor. And so my thought was, you know what? Feed the city is great. We could do great things by taking food to people and connecting with people, people and caring for them. But we need more money to bless more people. So, you know, we can, we can take up an alms offering to have more money to bless more people because our reach was spreading. And we were connecting with more and more people in our city. And, and that continues uh, to this day. And, and what this looked like, you may say, well, what is alms? Alms really is this. You know, we believe in, in the power of the tithe. So uh, when people come and they give to the Lord, uh, the tithe means tenth. And so, for example, my wife and I, we give a tenth of our income to the work of the Lord, and then anything above and beyond that would be something that we give to support. It's called an offering. It's to support either work in our city or to support missionaries around the world or whatever. So so, um, we we see this working. We see um, the tithe as an act of worship and a privilege to give to the Lord. We also see that God works through offering and And he's doing uh, great things in that area, the offering above the tithe. But my thinking is this. What if we all decided to make a difference by ministering to the needs of the poor in our area? How could we do that? What what would that look like? And so, um, I mean, obviously, we work hard for what we earn, right? Our time is extremely valuable. And we want, if we're going to invest in something, we would want it to uh, be the highest return. We would want it to be a worthy investment, would, would we not? Right? We, we don't want to just give flippantly and say, do whatever, with it, whatever you want. I, I busted my butt to make that money, but I don't care what you do with it. No, we do care. And we want our investments to matter. We want our, difference, our investments to make a difference in the world. So what could that look like? Um, and you may say, well, listen, I don't, ha- I don't have any money to give. Like, I am up against it. I, I don't have an extra dime to give. Because things are tight. Well, there's other ways that you can, there's other ways that you could decide to, to bless people. You could serve. Some of you are extremely talented. Maybe you could do a, a coat drive to help people who don't have money for coats or boots or hats or gloves for the winters. You know, I mean, we live in Syracuse, right? You, you, I mean, some of you have such creative ideas. How can you do it if you don't have money? Well, there's a lot of ways to serve other people and care for other people. And if you want to talk to me, um, we, we could talk about that. But even, even if it comes down to this, I'm going to care for I'm going to go build relationships with people and care for them and see what it is exactly that they need in their life. See, there's ways, there's ways that we can make a difference, and it doesn't necessarily have to include money if we don't have it. Um, but the second thing is this. So we need to decide that we're going to make a difference. The second thing is this. That, that we, uh, we should provide immediately, immediate help when we can. Immediate help when we can. And we know that there's times that uh, we, we're, we're faced with pressing issues that, that people come before us with. And it's no different than the story we read last week in Luke chapter 10. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We'll share this quickly. Jesus was talking about who is your neighbor, right? Who is your neighbor? And he says, but a Samaritan. Now, this guy, this Samaritan who was walking along, comes upon a guy who was robbed, had everything taken from him, was beaten, left for dead. Uh, we find out in the story that a priest had walked by him, ignored him, walked by on the other side. 
a Levite had walked by him, ignored him, walked by on the other side. But this Samaritan, it says, who was on a journey came up to him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him. He bandaged up his wounds, poured oil on him and wine on him. And he put him on his own beast, which was a donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's an immediate need. I mean, you know, sometimes we're faced with immediate needs in our groups. You know, someone in our, in our, uh, in our connect group, they lost their job. They got a diagnosis of cancer. They're, they're out of work and they don't have money to pay their bills. You know, we, we can help by meeting immediately a need in front of us. Now, I want to say this, and I want to be very clear about this. this. This is important. What am I talking about as it relates to ministry of the poor? This has got to be like the theme or the underlying qualifier. We do for others what they can't do for themselves. We need to get this. We do for others what they can't do for themselves. You know, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Right? If a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse, worse than an unbeliever. I'm not saying someone who's sitting on the couch hanging out all day that should be working, that isn't working, is people that we should invest our money in. But there are people out there that need help, that can be helped, that cannot help themselves. Right? And, and so we do for others what they can't do for themselves. We provide immediate temporary help. Um, I remember years ago, Hurricane Sandy hit the East Coast and uh, nearest to us, New York City, Long Island, that whole, that whole area. We took a team. We provided immediate help. We took a team of about 30 people there for three days to, to help minister, to care for, just to provide very short-term help. I mean, the people we met, the people we ministered to, the people we cared for, we'll probably never see again. But it was a short-term need, short need. We stepped in, we ministered, and then we, we stepped out. That, that's sort of what I'm saying when I say uh, a, a short-term or immediate help when we can. But in our worlds, we, we run into people like that all the time. Someone needs just a little bit of money to get through. Someone needs a little bit of your time to get by. Someone needs something, and we can provide immediate help when we can. Listen to me. You will never be judged on judgment day as you stand before the Lord for being taken, taken advantage of. I think one of the biggest concerns that we have is, but they're manipulating. You know, they're trying to get my money. They don't really have a need. Take the time to figure out if they do have a need. You're not going to stand before God and he's going to say, you were manipulated. He's going to say, you walked by someone who had a need though. He will say that. There was someone in your path that you could have cared for, but you clung to what you had more than cared for them. We'll hear that. And so we should be concerned about that. We should love people enough past that. Anne Frank said this, no one has ever become poor by giving. Sometimes we're so worried about our stuff, my things. And, and granted, we work hard. You work hard for what you have. But the reality is you're not going to be poor by caring for somebody. You may have to, you know, set aside a dinner out, going out to lunch, or set aside something that changes your pattern or your conveniences in life. But the reality is it's not going to make you poor. So there's immediate needs, and then there's 
The third one and final one as I close, uh, there's longer term needs. And I just want to land on this um, because some of us, we need to plan to stay in it for the long haul. You know, there, there's times that we could check in and check out. We could, you know, flip someone to 20. We could give a little bit of our time to care for them. We could meet some needs by paying a national grid bill or taking care of a, a security deposit or whatever it is. But the reality is that's in and out. There are some needs that are much longer, uh, longer term than that. You know, usually if you think about like a hurricane or a flood or a tornado or something, you know, there's immediate relief. The news is all over it. People show up. But a week later, two weeks later, there's no one to be found. There's still houses that are devastated, people's lives that are, be, that are devastated. And what I'm saying is, you know, uh, taking care of people can be not only immediate and short term, but it, is, it can also be staying in it for the long haul. And I want to just get to uh, the core of this because my time is running out. We see the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus, you know, Jesus tells this story and this guy, he not only took care of his immediate need, bandaged him up, threw him on his donkey, got him a place to stay. He paid for this guy to stay there and he said, I'll be back. You know, he was committed to making sure this man was restored in life. You know, he was able to go on in life. It wasn't just, you know, toss a couple bones to somebody and move on. It was, I care, and I'm going to make sure you're okay when I come back through town. I've got some business to take care of. When, when uh, I get back and when I'm done, I will take care of you. Because I want to see you rebuild your life. And so what does this look like as a church? This alms, I would love to take our alms giving to a new level. Let me tell you some of the ideas that I have. This, this could be amazing. What if we as a church began to invest in people who, you know, the reality is to change poverty, you have to change mindsets, right? So what if we began to invest in people, in families that, you know, didn't have education but want to get education but can't get education, what if we began to invest in people to say, you know, we care about you and we want to see a difference in your life. We want to help you overcome the hurdles that are holding you back. We want to help you, you know, maybe you want to go to a trade school and you can't. Maybe you don't have anyone babysitting or enough money to pay for your kids and you need help. Maybe you don't have transportation. And we begin to invest in one by one people and begin to see the fruit of that investment. What if one year, two years, three years from now, people would stand before us and say, you know, I am different now. I, I, I've gotten what I needed. I'm over the hump. God has done some great things in my life. Look at what's happening now. I've graduated. I, I'm providing for my family. I can. I've discovered I can do this. And I want to thank you for that. What if, what if one by one, people that we care about, we, we help them with their mindset and the obstacles that are before them, and, and, and they overcome those things, and their lives are forever different. Would that be worth your investment? Wouldn't it? I believe that this is what God is saying. That Listen, you could sit like blind Bartimaeus or the, the beggar uh, at the gate called beautiful, and you could be there for the rest of your life. That's a poverty mindset. But what if we said, you know what? I, what I have, I'm going to give to you. Get up and walk. You know, I'm going to help you. Stand up and do things that will help you move ahead. Now listen, that one family will ultimately lead to a generation of people. They've got kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And ultimately, that mindset can be broken. That spirit 
can be broken. But the reality is the church has fallen asleep as it relates to poverty. And I believe it's God's word that says, wake up. There's something that you can do. I have put things in your hand. I have given you skills and talents and money, and you're holding on to it when you're really meant to bless other people with what you have. Now, some of us hear that, and we receive it with some level of resistance. The reality is God cares for everyone, and Jesus' mission included bringing the good news to the poor. And I want to ask you, will you be a part of it? I don't really have a full vision for it. I do know that in the beginning of 2017, I want to put a committee together where we can brainstorm and come up with ways that we can make a difference in our city because our city is getting poorer and poorer and poorer. And it's tied to shame, brokenness, uh, you know, uh, people not feeling good about themselves. Do we want to let that trend continue or be the church? Come on, would you stand to your feet? You'll hear more about this as we move ahead. In the meantime... You could be asking God, God, what are you saying to me? Because I believe that God will bring immediate needs in our path. Maybe you're able to just put money aside out of your budget to say, you know what? If there is a long-term investment that God tells me to make, I will do it. But the big question is, God, what are you saying to me today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I give you praise. We honor you. We thank you for your love and concern for those who are poor, those who are living in poverty. And we thank you, God, that we realize today that you're calling your church to help pull them out of their situation. Lord, I bless you today. And God, I ask that you speak to us, God. What are you saying to me? That you would speak to each and every person, that their eyes would be open. That these words would, like an annoying, irritating uh, thing in their heart, just keep stirring and stirring and stirring until they say, I'm going to decide to make a difference. And so we give you all the praise right now. We love you. We thank you, God. Lord, we want to bring light and life to our city. And we ask that you help us change our hearts. We give you praise right now in Jesus' name. Amen.